Thank you for joining us as we continue our current teaching series, Chasing the Wind, teachings from the book of Ecclesiastes. Well, good morning, Riverbend. How are we doing? So quick side note for those of you guys who have been following along the last six or seven months. My name is Mike. I am now officially a cancer patient in complete remission. Had a PET scan on Monday. Looks really good. And uh, I'm on the mend. So thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your generosity to me and my family over these last seven months. It's been a journey. And the journey continues. For those of you who know, you know. The journey continues. It never ends. But I'm really excited to be up here and share with you this morning from Ecclesiastes chapter 8 as we continue our journey. Uh, What I'm about to share is probably not a major relevation to many of you. I was a rebellious kid. (laughs) I was a rebellious kid. I never liked being told what to do. Uh, And it didn't serve me very well at all. In fact, it usually put me in difficult situations on the outside, actually, on the inside, looking out, if you know what I mean. Often trapped, wondering, man, am I ever going to get my freedom back? Am I ever going to get my free will back? The worst thing that anybody could ever do in my youth was tell me what to do, because how could anybody ever know what was better for me than me? Now, I wouldn't admit it at the time, but there was a part of me that really, 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 really craved the structure that authority provided. I really did. The insecure me on the inside, the hidden self, uh, desperately knew that it was a big, scary world out there, lions and tigers and bears. And if I didn't have the structure that authority provided, I would find myself in a bad spot. Unable to get out, too far gone, too far for rescue. And I think this is probably why my mom always said by the time I was 40, I would either be president or in jail. God bless her, I'm 45 and I'm in neither. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe that's why I joined the Navy, though. I I hated the idea of being told what to do, but I loved the look of a uniform. I loved my country. I loved what it stood for. But more importantly, I know that I needed that structure. I needed that place with the wide boulevard and high curbs to kind of keep me in track. And being in the service did a lot of great things for me. I met my wife there. Uh, I had a chance to travel the world, do some really, really cool things. But more importantly, it gave me a solid foundation for life. It gave me a framework and some parameters and some basic fundamental rules for life that I thought were really, really important. Still, unsurprisingly, I do like to buck authority. Uh, And I'm willing to bet that many of you in here today and those of you who are listening to us online, thank you for joining us, uh, are quietly nodding your head, thinking to yourself, I hate authority. What is this guy going to tell me what to do? Well, let me, let me tell you something. Just put you at ease. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm not here to tell you what to think. I'm not here to tell you what to believe. I am going to share, however, from my life experience, from my faith experience and my faith journey, and I'm going to share with you some words that I think are pretty important that come in this book that I hope everybody has a copy of. And not just a copy that sits dusty on the shelf. I've got a couple of those. But something that you look at and read and open up on a daily basis. The reality is, we are all under various layers of authority. So my first question for you this morning is this. Whose authority do you submit to? Whose authority do you submit to? I mean, whose bright idea was it that we would sacrifice an hour of sleep and get up early today? I'd really like to meet that guy. I have some choice words for him. I mean, do farmers really need the extra hour of daylight? 
Rumor has it actually farmers hate daylight savings times. It's the retailers that want the extra hour of daylight in the day to sell you more stuff that you don't need to impress people that you don't like with money you don't have. Whether daylight savings time saves money or not, the jury is out. I won't get into that discussion this morning. The reality is, is that 40% of the world celebrates daylight savings time. I say celebrates loosely, air quotes. 40% of the world participates in this. And so if you want to do business, if you want to function, in Western society at least, daylight savings time is a thing. And we're all under various different structures of authority under the sun. Those of you who've been following along with Ecclesiastes and us will recognize that phrase, under the sun. We are under various types of authority. I have a very dear friend of mine who reminds me on a regular basis that democratic republics are the least worst form of government. The democracy that we function in is the least worst form of government, especially when you compare it to maybe, say, dictators, right? A little bit of freedom is better than no freedom at all. Uh, and yet we still have monarchies throughout the globe, right? We have authorities at work, our supervisors, our bosses. For some of us who are business owners, our customers. Uh, we have authorities at home, spouses, parents, grandparents. We even have authorities here in church. We have Joe and, and, and Chris and Travis and our pastor te pastoral team. We have our elder team as well that provide us a layer of spiritual authority. Maybe you're in a small group. Your small group leader exercises some level of spiritual authority under, over you should you allow to be under their authority. Now that said, I know that there are some of you in this room right now who are really, really comforted knowing that there is law. Can I, I won't actually, actually show your hands. It's cool. I won't, yeah. There's some of you right now who are really thankful that we have laws. Laws provide those structures, they provide the wide boulevard, the high curbs, uh, and they keep things from like chaos from ensuing. And there are some of you in this room who are like, chaos, let the chips fall where they may. Let's have a great time. YOLO! That's, you only live once for those of you who don't know the acronyms. Um, but God is not a God of chaos. He's not. He's not a God of chaos. He's a God of structure and order. He's a God who uh, has love and care and passion for us, and he's given us a wide boulevard and high curbs, and he's given us some lines that we're not supposed to cross. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, I'm going to ask you to open it up to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. If you don't have one of these paper Bibles, we have them out in the walkway. Please go grab one. You don't have to do it now. We're going to have it up on the screen. We can all read along. But please, most important thing, read. Uh, so Ecclesiastes chapter 8 was written by a scribe of Solomon. For those of you guys who are catching up, uh, Solomon was richer than anybody ever. He was wise beyond his years. His empire was the envy of the known world at the time. And his drip was so good that Jesus commented on it a thousand years later. For those of you who don't know what drip is, I'm talking about his style, his threads, his clothing. He was a king in a position of authority. And with that authority, he spent the latter part of his years trying to find meaning for life, trying to find it in wealth, in power, in possessions, in education, and in pleasure. And in eight chapters thus far of Ecclesiastes, Solomon has found solace and comfort in none of those things. And so now Solomon is going to say, all right, let's take a look at authority. Let's see if that is where peace under the sun is at. Ecclesiastes chapter one, or chapter eight, verse one says, who is like the wise? Who knows the explanation of things? A person's wisdom brightens their face and changes its hard appearance. Obey the king, I command. I'm sorry, obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. 
Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he can do, whatever he pleases. Since a king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? How many times have you guys looked at your boss or your person of authority and said, what are you doing? So here's my first point for us this morning. First and foremost, number one, we are called to submit to those who are in authority. We are called to submit to those who are in authority. Now, I, I know that this room, not everybody here is a Christ follower. There are people here who are checking it out. There are people who got drug here because the coffee is good or the Danishes are on point or because the parking lot is plowed. And so I have a lot of respect for you being here, and I'm so thankful that you're here to hear what we have to say this morning. But speaking to everybody, we are all called to submit to those in authority. As I've already made abundantly clear, I don't like being told what to do. But Solomon had to go and bring God into it. He said, obey the king's command, for this is your oath before God. And so I want to ask you a question. When, when, you, when you submit to those who are in authority, how do you approach them? How do you approach those who are placed in authority over you? When I was a kid, I did not approach authority well. I approached authority with a lot of hostility. And I still struggle with that today, but I'm learning, especially as I get older and I go through more life experiences, I'm learning to approach authority with humility. And so we're called to approach authority with humility, not with hostility. And, and that's important because how you approach authority is a reflection of your heart. How you approach authority is a reflection of what's going on inside your heart. Now, Christians in the room, Christians listening to us today, I'm going to call you out on the carpet, myself included. We should be a joy to lead. We should be a joy to lead. Our supervisors, our bosses, our customers should not say, oh, that Christian person. One of the most formative books in my spiritual journey was a book called Unchristian by Dave Kinnaman and, and, uh, Dave, uh, and Barna. And they said, Christians are known what they're against, not what they're for. Christians are known what they're against, not what they're for. And that hurts my heart because Jesus is for you because he's called us to be under authority. So you should be a joy to lead. You should not be a struggle. I have a, I have a, a five-month-old dog at home. God bless her. She's wonderful. When taking her for a walk, it is not a joy. It's not a joy right now. She's got to learn how to submit to the authority of, of the pack and the pack leader. So Christian, are you a joy to lead at work? Are you a joy to lead at home? Are you a joy to lead in civil society in the places that you go, in your small groups? Because we are called to submit to those who are in authority, and we need to approach those authority figures with humility, not hostility. Now, that said, if I could just cut these four verses of the Bible out, in fact, if I could cut like most of this chapter out, I would. Because I don't like the idea of submitting to authority. And that's what this entire chapter is all about. So I hope I just didn't give away the baby with the bathwater for the rest of the morning. But if I could take this section of scripture out, I would. Because I don't like submitting to authority. And I know that many of you in here have your own struggles with it as well. But here's the thing. We can't just cut out sections of the Bible that we don't like or don't jive or don't agree with. Especially when, when it's said is repeated over and over and over again. And we find the same theme over and over in the Bible. 
So for instance, much, much later, a thousand plus years later, there's this dude named Paul who plants a bunch of churches, talks about Jesus a lot, has a really cool experience, gets knocked off his high horse, literally. He writes a letter to his friends in Rome. And he says this in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. He says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do, not, those who do so will bring judgment upon themselves. I don't care who you voted for. I don't care who you nominated if you don't like the person who's there, it doesn't matter. My hope, my faith, does not rest in the person who's in political authority over me. My hope, my faith rests on the person who died and was resurrected from the cross. Okay? So whether you like the dude or not, whether you like the policies or not, as the citizen of this country, I'm going to tell you to go vote, go exercise it. I put on a uniform so you could go do that. Please do. And I'm not going to tell you how to vote. But I am going to tell you, whoever's there, you got to respect them. You got to respect them. You got to trust that they're in a position of authority that God has allowed them to be in. And it's not just Paul who says this. <coughs> Excuse me. Peter says this as well. He says this in a letter uh, to the Christians back in, in uh, Jerusalem. He says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. God, in his sovereignty, in his divine will and wisdom, has told us that we are to submit to those who are in authority. We are allowed to be in author uh, under authority of humans on earth because it's ultimately God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus who are going to be working for our good. Amen? And it's not that he just says this in Ecclesiastes and says this in Romans and says it in, in, in Peter. God's Holy Spirit has instructed all these authors, has written through all of these authors to tell us that we are to submit as if we are submitting to the Lord. So if you want to submit to God's authority, if you want to submit to God's word, you've got to start by submitting to those who are in authority over you today. I know that's a tough bit to swallow. I know it's not easy. But I will tell you this, it honors God when we approach leaders with humility and not hostility, even the leaders we don't like. It honors God and others when we start and lead with respect and humility, even if you don't respect them. Let's think about this for a second. Peter, when he wrote this, everybody knows who Peter is, right? He was the, the, the rock that Jesus built his church on. I think it's because he was a little dense. He did some foolish, foolish things. Peter was the rock whom Jesus said, on my church I will build. Peter wrote this letter under the authority of Emperor Nero. Now, for you history buffs in the room, that's going to ring a bell, and you're going to think about that for a second. For the rest of us, let's catch up. Nero was probably the most heinous emperor of, his, of, of, of all Roman times. Heinous. Horrible. He had his mother murdered. He had his first wife exiled. He kicked his second wife to death, literally, while she was pregnant allegedly. And then, if that wasn't enough, he took a young boy as his third wife because she, he looked like his second wife. Had that boy castrated and announced that this was the new queen of Rome or empress of Rome. This was a very sick and twisted dude who did exact his will on a lot, a lot of people. 
And yet here's Peter. Go back to that, slide, that Peter slide again. Here's Peter who says, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Here's Peter who's being oppressed, being persecuted, being chased by Roman emperor, whose Christian brothers and sisters are being dipped in oil and set aflame inside his garden so he could see at night. That Emperor Nero. And Peter's saying, we need to submit to those in authority because it honors God. Thank you. If you want to honor God, you have to submit to those who are in authority. Let's pick up our story in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Verse 5, it says, Whoever obeys his command, about the king, will come to no harm, and the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure, for there is a proper time and procedure for every matter, though a person may be weighed down by misery. Since no one knows the future, who can tell someone else what is to come? And as no one has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the time of their death. As no one is discharged in a time of war, so wickedness will not release those who practice this. All this I saw <clears throat> as I applied my mind to everything under, done under the sun. There is a time when a man lords it over others to his own hurt. Then too, I saw the wicked buried, those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this. This too is meaningless. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. Although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, I know that it will go better with those who fear God, who are reverent before him. It will not, uh, yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them, and the days will not lengthen like a shadow. There's a lot in there, but the, the, the point that I, that I really draw out of that is this, is that human authority will be unfair. Human authority will be unfair. I know some of the existential questions that all of us ask is like, God, do you, who do you really want me to follow? Whose authority do you want me to follow? Why, why do you put us under the authority of wicked people? Why do bad things happen to good people? And good things happen for bad people. And I would tell you in my experience, it's because God is asking us, who do you want to follow? Whose kingdom do you want to be a part of? Do you want to have the temporary glory and riches of today, or do you want to have the eternal permanent riches of tomorrow? Now, for those of you who are Christians in the room, we, are, we have dual citizenship, which is kind of a cool thing, but it can also be really challenging, right? Because if you're a citizen of heaven... You're like, this guy over here in authority, this girl over here in authority is challenging me to go do something that I think is against your word. Am I supposed to follow them if I'm supposed to submit to human authority, God? And I would tell you no. If people in authority are challenging you or calling you to sin, I mean, even in the military, they would say, hey, you're supposed to follow all the orders of those above you. Sometimes even the morally questioned ones. And sometimes you have to stand up and say, no, sir, I will not do that thing. At what cost? cost of your earthly citizenship or the cost of your heavenly citizenship. We are citizens of God's kingdom. And so we need to resist with gladness and courage when those who are in authority over us command us to sin. We need to follow God's word over human laws. We need to remember that we are a citizen of the king of kings and the lord of lords first and foremost. So what does it look like to resist an authority, right? I think this is a question that all of us have. It's, it's easy to resist authority, but what does it look like to do it with honor and with respect and with joy? 
And I would tell you it looks like Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And we can see examples of that in Scripture. In the prophetic book of Daniel in the Old Testament, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wouldn't bow down to the idol. And so what does the, what does the king of Babylon do? He throws them into the fire, into the furnace. And what happens? God meets them there and saves them. Also in the book of Daniel, Daniel would not bow down and pray at the set times and worship the God of Babylon. Instead, he chose to worship the God of the Bible, the one true God, Yahweh. What did he get for that? What was his penance? He gets thrown into a pit with a lion. That lion doesn't eat him. God saves him there. Earlier in the Bible, in Joshua, there's a prostitute named Rahab <clears throat> who lets spies into the, into the, into the, inside the walls so that the nation of Israel, who was called to take the promised land, could come in. When she's found out, she doesn't give up the spies. And because of her faithfulness, you can find her counted among the genealogy of Jesus. In the New Testament, because the religious elite could not recognize the very Messiah who stood before them, Jesus would endure and suffer the cross. Ladies and gentlemen, we are called to push back against authority when they ask us to go against God's word or when they ask us to be immoral. We need to practice love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, but we need to have resolve when we do that. Picking up Ecclesiastes some more in verse 14. There's something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. So I commend the, in, I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of the life God has given them under the sun. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the labor that is done on earth, people getting no sleep day or night, then I saw all that God has done. Then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun despite all their efforts to search it out. No one can discover its meaning. Even the wise, even if the wise claim they know, they cannot really comprehend it. So I'm going to tell you this. God's authority might seem unfair. In fact, I tell you this, God's authority is unfair. And while that makes some of you Christians in the room squirm a little bit, I'll let you sit in that tension for a second. Think about it. God is unfair. Because who amongst you is good? Not one. The only one who is good among you was Christ Jesus who died on a cross and traded places with you. He took the unfair death so that we could have eternity in heaven. If God was fair, Jesus would have never suffered the cross. We would have. So why do bad things happen to good people? Because not a single thing, one of us is good. Why do good people get cancer? Why do good people die long before their time? Why are our mentors ripped away from us when we are in the throes of our, of our journey with them? That's not for us to know. And while I'm not okay with that in, in my heart, there's a part of me that's had to learn to be okay with it because those things all happen to me because it's not about me. It's about him. And it's about writing his story. I'm not the king and author of my story. He is. <clears throat> we are unsubmissive. We are disobedient. And we are traitors to the king of kings. 
when we place our wants, desires ahead of his. And yet God loves us still. And yet God loves us still. God treats us unfairly because it's for our good and for his glory. Now that said, Jesus, who was God and walked among us, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, in the New Testament, he says some pretty far out things. He says some pretty pretty crazy things that are tough to swallow. It's like, dude, I, I don't know where you're going with this. Sometimes Jesus said things that didn't make sense. Not to us today, certainly not to his disciples of the time. There's a story in John chapter 6. Jesus is out in a desert. He's been teaching the people. It's been really, uh, you know, people are coming from all around. And, and he's telling these, these stories and he's teaching them and he's encouraging them. And then he says this. He says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, and they're hungry. They've been out in the sticks for a long time, right? They're hungry, right? And Jesus said, hey, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Jesus is going all walking dead before walking dead was a thing. Are, are you saying like, hey, I'm supposed to be a cannibal and I'm supposed to like come tear you up, Jesus? Like, what are you saying? If you, literally, the interpretation and understanding of what you're saying is like, I'm supposed to, supposed to eat you and drink you? The disciples found this an incredibly hard teaching. The disciples found this a very hard teaching, and they had a hard time accepting it. And so what does Jesus do? He confronts them. He calls them on it. It's like, hey, guys, what's the problem? This is, this is, this is, this is, my, this is what I'm called to. This is, why Jesus, this is why I'm here. This is why God the Father let me walk the earth. But in verse 66, we see probably one of the most disappointing things in Scripture of all time. After that, from this time, many of his disciples turned their back and they no longer followed him. Because Jesus' teaching was too hard and it didn't make any sense. And they didn't want to submit to his authority. They heard something that they didn't like, that they didn't want to do, and they didn't understand. And so they said, deuces, I'm going to do my own thing. And they bounced. And if I was Jesus, I would be devastated. Thank the Lord I'm not Jesus, because Jesus knew what he was doing, and I don't. So I'm going to ask you a question again. Whose authority do you follow? Whose authority are you willing to submit to? Are you willing to follow Jesus even when it doesn't make any sense and even when it challenges your sensibilities? Whose authority do you submit to? Even when Jesus doesn't make sense, he does give us some instructions on how to do this. In Luke chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, it says this. Jesus has just come out and uh, announced his, uh, his ministry. He's calling the disciples to them. He's called Simon, and he's called James and John, and they're out in the water, and they're, they're doing some, you know, he's like, put out in the water so we can teach the people and, and, and spend some time. So he gets out into the boats, belong, one belonging to Simon, and he tells, tells Simon, put out a little farther from shore. He sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, hey, put out into the deep water and let down the nets. I'm going to pause for a second here. How many of you know how to do your job and know how to do your job well? Probably most of us, right? Whether you're a student, a teacher, a leader, an instructor, you know how to do your job well. What if I, who doesn't know your job and profession, shows up at your house and says, hey, <laughs> you're doing it wrong. I want you to go do this. You're going to look at me and tell me to pack sand. You're going to look at me and say, dude, you're off your rock. You're nuts. You don't even know what you're talking about. You don't know how to do this. Let me do this thing. You go do your own thing. But here's Jesus. Hey, put out into the deep water, let down the nets. And Simon says, I can just hear the sarcasm in Peter's voice. Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. 
But here, look at the emphasized part, the underlined part. This is what I want you to say out loud with me. One, two, three. But because you say so, but because you say so, Lord, I will let down the nets. Are you a follower of Jesus or are you a Jesus deserter? Are you somebody who's going to turn their back when the challenging, difficult teaching shows up, the things that you don't want to do, the things that you don't understand, the things that don't seem to make sense? Or are you going to be somebody who says, but because you say so, Jesus, I will do it. You know, I'm not really good at this whole prayer thing, but because you say so, Jesus, I'm going to work on being prayerful every single day. I'm not really good at this purity thing. I really like the look of this, this, and this. But because you call me to purity, Jesus, because you say so, I will do it. I don't want to give my tithe. I don't want to be generous with my money. I took a pay cut. I've got bills to pay. There's not enough month, or there's too much month at the end of my money. What am I supposed to do? I'm going to be generous because you say so. I'm going to submit and obey to your authority, Lord, because you say so. I don't understand why, Lord, but because I follow you and because you say so, I will do as you asked. So as I land this plane for us this morning, let me go back to this initial question. Are you a joy to lead? Are you a joy to lead? We are not the kings and queens, but we are called by the king of kings. Jesus will return one day. The Bible talks about this in Revelations. He will return. And when he comes and sets up his eternal kingdom, every knee will bow. Will your knee bow in joyful submission? Or will your knee break in hostile reluctance? You get to choose, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. You get to choose. How you respond to authority is a reflection of your heart. So this week, as you go forward, be mindful of those who've been placed in authority over you. Approach them with humility. Be a joy to lead at work, at home, in your groups, in your families. And don't be a Jesus deserter, but a Jesus follower, because he says so. Would you pray with me, please? Father God, I, I love you. My heart uh, has a hard time with this morning's teaching. My heart has a hard time embracing your word. I don't like to submit, but Lord, I'd ask that you would soften my heart, soften our hearts to those whom you have placed in authority above us. That we would be a people who are a joy to lead. And when we don't have the wisdom to know what is right and wrong, we know that you do and that we can trust that your wisdom is supreme and perfect. And when it is time for us to resist, that we would resist with joy, peace, patience, joy, self-control. Father, I pray that we'd be a community of people that instead of questioning you, would respond in humble tones because you said so. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that are known by what we are for. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, self-control than what we are against. Lord, I pray most importantly that you would light a fire within us, that the wind of God would come and refresh and renew and restore our souls. We praise you in the perfect name of Jesus, and I invite everybody to say, amen.